Our scripture reading for today is Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 to 12. Listen now to the word of the Lord. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read it facing the square from before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aenea, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maaseah on his right hand. And Padeah, Mishael, Malchijah, Hashem, Heshbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maaseah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law, while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense, so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and some portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet. For this day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may have heard of this game that everybody, including Kelly and myself, have been playing for the past year, Animal Crossing New Horizons. To the outsider, it's hard to see the appeal of a video game in which you start a new life in an undeveloped, uh, unfamiliar town catch insects and fish in order to pay off your endless I'll buy interest-free home loans to the raccoon slumlord Tom Nook and use the remainder of your hard-earned bells to pay for infrastructural improvements. But the reality is that this game is extremely popular because it was designed to feel 
cozy, warm, communal, a seemingly perfect antidote to the lockdowns and isolation of the COVID-19 pandemic. It's a slice of life game with no set objectives. And in fact, the game even encourages you to just enjoy island life. As you progress through the game, you complete enough tasks and earn enough money to construct and upgrade buildings, bridges, and staircases. And you can hold ceremonies to celebrate the completion of these new additions. Now, on the, on the, on the slide, you'll see these are just a handful of the ceremonies that Kelly and I have attended on our island town. And you can see the progression of how the town is, is coming together. And, and what fascinates me mo most about these ceremonies is, is the formula that they follow. Tom Nook says a few words about improving the island. Uh, the player congratulates everybody and everyone pops uh, their, their poppers and, and everyone starts dancing and reacting. It's so simple, repetitive, trite even. But Kelly and I keep attending these ceremonies because in a way, we feel a sense of community with these cute anthropomorphic binary code generated villagers. And I think this is why so many people have flocked to the game. Isn't that what we're missing in our current lives? Genuine community. At the end of the day, the game is just a game, obviously. It cannot provide true genuine community, even if it serves a purpose of relaxing and passing the time. Now, we as Christians know that we foster genuine Christian community and fellowship with each other, not only on Sundays, but also during the week, for example, during small group and, dare I say it, committee meetings. But the pandemic seems to have complicated the ways in which we interact. We may feel exile of our own, this is a sort of exile. We've always worshiped together in person and in a building. And now we have to reimagine space in our homes for work, child rearing, church service, rest, more work. So I think we have much to learn from the post-exilic Jewish community because the Jews needed to figure out their relationship with God and how to worship him. Remember, before the exile, the Israelites defined their relationship with God around temple worship. Well, what do you do if the Babylonians come in and destroy your temple and take you off into exile? Jews had to reevaluate how they related to God, their, their relationship with God. And so, so in the text for today, Nehemiah 8, we inherit such an example of, of true uh, God-centered worship for Christian worship today. I would like to suggest that we would enjoy our worship, even in a Zoom world, if we better understood the function and ends of Christian worship and celebration. And so we would be wise to learn from the genuine community and the genuine joyful celebration or worship that the Jews performed. And so we return to the stories of Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah, the post-exilic Jews in their journey to rebuild the temple, the city of Jerusalem, and the community of God's people. Last week, we witnessed Nehemiah rebuff disingenuous olive branches from his enemies, 
as he and his team completed the walls in 52 days. In a way similar to how Kelly and I have added bridges and inclines to our island to improve the image of our island, the Jews rebuilt the temple and the temple city as a testament to the greatness of God, the God of their forefathers, the God of Israel. And finally, the Jews celebrate. They can celebrate their accomplishments and worship the God who made it all possible. During this celebration, the leaders say three times, this day is holy. In each of these incidents, the leaders tell the people not to be grieved for their sins, but to celebrate their God. Now, to be sure, there is a place for conviction of sin in the Christian life, but despair and conviction do not have the final say because God has delivered us from sin and death. That is, we do not mourn and grieve because the day of worship is a holy day. Now today, I hope to encourage us to reclaim the joy of Christian worship. As a matter of fact, we should enjoy Christian worship because Christian worship happens on a holy day. I have three points on how the holiness of uh, the, the day of worship should spur us to act and to respond to genuine Christian worship. First point, Christian worship needs to be demanded by the people, not the pastor. Christian worship needs to be demanded by the people, not the pastor. Because the day of worship is holy, the joy of worship arises from our rightly ordered, God-centered desires, not from coercion. The joy of Christian worship does not arise because the preacher forces you to worship. Can you imagine that? It would be like if headmistress Trunchbull from Matilda were a pastor, but instead of forcing Bruce Bogtrotter to eat an entire cake in front of the assembly of the school, uh, she were to come around and force you to smile when you were worshiping. Not gonna happen. Not gonna happen. The preacher can only do so much. But the Bible tells us that the people in Nehemiah were the ones who wanted worship. In Nehemiah 7, the chapter pre, uh, immediately prior to this, uh, our author repeats the list of families who left Babylon to return to Jerusalem as mentioned in Ezra 2. This repetition is significant because this list acts as the bookends for the construction projects that begin in Ezra 3 and end in Nehemiah 6. God remembers these people as the people who left the comforts of Babylon to toil in the hot sun in order to rebuild an insignificant city in a politically insignificant province. And after all is said and done, these same people demand that Ezra teach them God's word. Nehemiah 8.2 says, And they, the people, told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord has commanded Israel. And the Jews didn't virtue signal with this. Bilshan didn't shout really loudly, Ezra, Ezra, read from the law because I want to learn what it says so that his friends could see how virtuous he was. Only to pick up his iPhone and scroll through Facebook to see which of his friends had a birthday that day. 
And we, we know that they're not virtue signaling because of verse three. And the ears of all, all the people were attentive to the book of the law, all the people. Now, of course, we need our leaders to perform the liturgy and to elucidate the text. And we see Ezra the scribe reading the book of the law and blessing God and the priests where uh, the names of all the people that Kelly read very beautifully, I might add, explain to the people what the law means. And verse eight gives us the result. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly. And they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Because the day of worship is holy, Christians should respond not out of obligation or compulsion, but out of rightly ordered desire and joy. Second point, Christian worship means full body reverence to God. Christian worship means full body reverence to God. Christian worship is the high intensity interval training of workouts. Now, when I was in high school, I played football, so I was in the weight room a lot, like at least once a day, usually twice a day. And of course, because football is a high speed uh, and a high impact game, our strength and conditioning coach made us do intense cardio workouts. I didn't like those cardio workouts very much. So during my senior year, after basketball and football season was done, I wasn't going to play in college, so whatever I did didn't matter. Uh, I just lifted every day, like twice a day. Um, my goal was to become as thick as possible, like thick with five C's. Um, and I will spare you the photos of 18-year-old Eric, uh, but let's just say that my friends said I looked like a human brick. Um, but because I neglected my cardio, right? I neglected the cardio. All I did was you know, hand cleans and powerlifting. You probably send me out and say, all right, run a 5K. Hey, not gonna end well. I'll probably cramp out two kilometers in. And so Christian worship is not just doing the strength exercises so that we can satisfy our own vain pursuits. Christian worship is not an excuse for us to sing more loudly so that our neighbors know that we can sing. Christian worship is not an excuse for us to preach clever sermons and lead clever small groups uh, so that our neighbors know how much we know. Christian worship is not an excuse for us to lift our hands higher than the person next to us and, and, and close our eyes more intensely than, than the person next to us because Christian worship is, is not a competition. Now, obviously, Christian worship needs singing, preaching, and the lifting of hands. And we see from today's passage that they are all integral to worship. Ezra blesses God with his mouth, and the congregations respond accordingly with amens. They lift their, ha uh, they lift their hands, bow their heads, and prostrate their entire bodies. But that's only half the equation. The people also have to hear and to be attentive to God's word. They need to process and understand the reading with their hearts and minds, not just their physical selves. And they had to obey God's word. We have to remember for the post-exilic Jews that stringent adherence to building instructions and ritual practice alone did not constitute true worship. In Chronicles, a book contemporaneous with Ezra Nehemiah, the chronicler constantly encourages the Jews to seek God, quote, with all their heart and with all their soul, and freely and joyously. 
As Christians, we have inherited this command. We cannot have an ordered worship service and the appropriate adornments without properly ordered hearts and souls. We have to train our entire selves to worship God in this full-bodied way. Only then can our bodies be holy and pleasing living sacrifices to God. Third and final point, Christian worship consists primarily not of mourning, but of rejoicing. Christian worship consists primarily not of mourning, but of rejoicing. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the leaders of the congregation say three times, this day is holy. About now, you might be asking, well, preacher, what does it mean for this day to be holy? Great question. As we explored in the Holiness of God FG series, one aspect of holiness is being consecrated or, or set apart. God is set apart from us in one sense because he is without sin and we are sinful. Similarly, when the leaders say this day is holy, for one, they mean that the day is set apart for worshiping a holy God, the holy God. Now, in the first two points, I explained that we should approach the holiness of the day of worship with our desire and with our whole selves. These make sense because both show how we hope to give our very best to God in acts of worship. But we still have not dealt with the, the elephant in the room that we are still sinful creatures. Shouldn't we, like Isaiah, when he found himself in the very presence of the holy God, say, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Doesn't it only make sense that we should mourn on account of our uncleanness? Now, the post-exilic Jews certainly felt that way, having been disconnected from a physical copy of the book of the Law of Moses upon hearing it read for the first time. The Jews mourned and grieved. It seems that they were convicted of their guilt and sin. But the leaders tell the people not to cry. Instead, they say, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now the Jews have rebuilt the Jerusalem and the temple. Their God is not dead. The reconstruction of the great city, city signals the power and the holiness of God. They are to rejoice because God is alive. God is alive. Do you hear this, brothers and sisters? God is alive. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, I understand how lonely, how tired, how desperate you may be feeling right now. People are losing jobs and loved ones. These are no small matters, and there is an appropriate time to mourn these losses. We even have time during service to, to address these emotional losses and to, to, to confess our sins. And, but, but notice how during the confession of sin portion, immediately after we confess, we hear the assurance of pardon 
When we gather on Sunday to worship God, we declare that God is alive and that he is our strength. That God is alive and he is our strength. Regardless, regardless of our state. It is not because of our own abilities that we accomplish anything good. It is because God is alive and well that we can accomplish anything. On the following day, the second day, after the first day of festivities, the day after the first peace offering, the Jews celebrate the festival of booths or tabernacles. And now, when the Israelites uh, made for themselves, uh, so during this festival of, of booths, the Israelites made for themselves temporary shelters to commemorate when God dwelled or tabernacled among Israel in the wilderness. And 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 we learn in in the the subsequent verses for today's passage. In verse 17, there was very great, very great, not just regular great, very great rejoicing, very great rejoicing. So the Jews, the next day, very next day, learned very quickly that their joy is the Lord, wherein lies their strength. Okay, so we know that we're not supposed to mourn and that we are supposed to rejoice. You still might be asking, well, what does that mean? According to our text today, we rejoice by eating, drinking, and sharing as a community. Eating, drinking, and sharing as a community. The way of true worship is to celebrate the holy day by eating, drinking, and sharing. Now, we eat and drink all the time. That's not an issue for us to think about. Um, and we may not be doing it now, but before, that's what we were doing. You know, fellowship time, that's what we did. But notice that sharing is not an afterthought. It's baked into the festivities. This holy day is too important not to include every single person, even if they are too poor to offer large enough meat offerings. Eat and drink and share. What good is the community if we leave out people who actually do belong? Paul warned the Corinthian church against this as well, chastising the Corinthians for partaking of an ostensible Lord's Supper when they were in cliques. He says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And what kind of divisions? When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For in eating each one, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. When we partake of the Lord's table, when we take of this meal we eat and drink and share, we remember the unity that we have. The act of partaking of the same bread, the same cup, represents our unity with each other and with God. So Paul has a simple solution in verse 33. So then, my brothers, when you come to eat, wait for one another. And so we wait for the day when we reunite for this celebration where we eat and drink and share. For Paul and for us Christians, the shared meal represents the unity that we have with each other and with the Father, through the Son, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, it may be that these three points are very difficult for us to do. Perhaps some of you are feeling Zoom fatigue from work and school, such that Zoom church has become more of a chore and less of a joy. 
Instead of demanding church service, we merely tolerate it. Perhaps other of us want to have church service, but we are too tired to worship with our whole bodies. Maybe we are too Presbyterian to raise our hands while we sing. Maybe online shopping and scrolling through Instagram are more interesting than listening attentively and shouting amen. We are just okay with sitting through service. Perhaps the rest of us cannot find joy in online fellowship, so we quickly sign off. I really get it because I have done all three of these things. But I'm sure that there were many times when the people of Israel wanted to give up. They must have asked themselves why they left their relatively comfortable jobs in Babylon to toil in the desert sun. But they never did give up. Instead, they restored the heart and soul of their worship. To be sure, we as a church need to find ways to improve Sunday service and, and small group experiences for everybody, for God's glory. But we also need to be wary of commodifying our worship service, making changes that commodify worship. We should not make changes simply to increase numbers, for example. Rather, we make changes in our service to reflect the unity that we have in Christ. I was talking to my friend the other day about Catholic Mass and you can say whatever you like about the Catholics, uh, but they have not messed with their liturgy. Okay, okay, so they've been saying it in Latin for 1900 years. Uh, but, but the point remains, because they didn't make changes to adapt with changing cultural trends. Um, in theory, congregants were thus able to focus more on the holiness of the sacrament of communion. Now, for us Protestants, we focus on the proclamation of the word. But in some churches, it can feel like the pastors and, the, and the, the, the staff are trying to sell you an experience. Fog machines, you know, laser shows, um, new music every week. Now, that stuff is all fine and good, but what happens when you strip all of that away? What, what do you see? Is the substance of the worship service still there? And so we should demand worship service of our leaders we should worship with our whole bodies, and we should worship with joy, because this day is holy, set apart for worshiping the holy God. Whenever we gather to worship, we remember that we were dead in our sins. But the Father, in his justice, mercy, and holiness, made a way by sending his Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, and to be raised, and to ascend, and to be seated, at the right hand of the Father. This day is holy. It isn't some video game, some silly video game celebration. We worship the God who deserves all our praise, and we should do so joyfully. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this holy day on which we gather as a church to hear the proclamation of your word and to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We thank you for your people who taught us to worship. They taught us to demand worship, to worship with their entire beings, and to worship with joy and in community. God, it is so difficult right now to worship, but we ask that you fortify us. We ask that you imbue in us a passion so entrenched in love for you the Son and the Spirit, that we cannot help but worship all the time. Empower us with your Holy Spirit, 
in order that we might have endurance during this difficult time and that we might joyfully invite others to know you. Help us to live and to love like your son, Jesus Christ, who taught us when we prayed to say, Our Father. Lord in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.